0: morning we're in uh, week two of our new series on the gospel of mark and um, if you missed last week uh, we kicked it off by looking at uh, john the baptist it was very um, challenging passage looking at um, the life of john the baptist and what his life and his ministry uh, teaches us how it confronts us how it encourages us so if you if you missed last week i'd encourage you um, to find it somewhere on the on the channel related to this and they catch up, but today we're diving into uh, our second installment, Mark uh, chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be working through verses 9 uh, to 15. Uh, I'm going to dive in and read them, and then we're going to see uh, how God is going to speak to us and encourage us uh, this morning. So uh, have a look in your Bible or on your phone. Uh, the verses will be up next to me, I think, as we go through this, Mark chapter 1, from verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Immediately, The Spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels were serving him. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, and believe the good news." as far as we're going to go. Uh, the context of what we're looking at today, there's a shift here. We see in Mark, I explained last week that the reason why uh, we're, we're working through the gospel of Mark as a church is because we want to be looking and beholding the person and the work of Jesus week in and week out. And uh, last week we spent uh, you know, a lot of time looking at John the Baptist. Now there's a shift very quickly in his gospel. Mark goes from... Uh, John the Baptist who's preparing the way for Jesus and now all the way through the rest of our weeks we're going to be uh, gazing at the person and the work uh, of Jesus. Uh, the, this, these verses, uh, the content of what we're going to look at today pre- presents a, a shift in the life of Jesus and it's really important for us. These are these are foundational verses in the Gospel of Mark because it, uh, it shows us the start of Jesus' public ministry. And there's sort of these book ends, if you want, of the life of Jesus. Uh, he grows up in, in relative obscurity uh, for 30 years and sort of almost bursts onto the scene here in, in a public way and then sustains a, a, about three years of public ministry before he is uh, crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascends to heaven. And the Gospel of Mark focuses, obviously, a lot of the Gospels are on those three years. Mark almost exclusively on these three years of Jesus's active ministry, public ministry life, if you want. And uh, I want us to look at uh, five things today that we see uh, in these verses that we've read that, that we learn about Jesus and this, um, this, the start of his, his public ministry. And the first thing that we see about Jesus is that he lives a life of dedicated obedience. He lives a life of dedicated obedience. Uh, all the way through the gospel of Mark, we're going to be learning and seeing different things about Jesus. We're going to be hearing him teach us. We're going to be looking at the model and the example of, of his life. We're going to see how he's a savior and a redeemer and a king who ushers in his kingdom. Uh, and, but also scattered throughout Mark, there are uh, instances of what, things Jesus does and how he lives that are examples to us as well. Jesus is not only our savior, but he's also... An example to us, and here we see uh, Jesus right at the beginning of his public ministry, living a life, starting to live a life, all the way through. He lived a life of dedicated obedience, but comes into sharp focus for us here. Um, as we look at this passage, you have to ask the question: Why did Jesus get baptized? It seems almost a strange thing for the Son of God to do. Um, Jesus. Uh, was without sin. The the Gospels, Paul's letters make it abundantly clear that he was without sin. He had no need uh, to be baptized. John comes um, preaching a gospel of of repentance, calling people to the confession of their sins. We looked at last week and they get baptized. Jesus doesn't get baptized uh, by John in the same way that we would uh, need to and and those Jews and Gentiles who were coming to John the Baptist. Uh, He's without sin, so there's no need for him to go through baptism in the same way so why why does he get baptized well there's a few reasons i think one is to identify with us in his humanity uh, all the way through the gospel of mark we're going to be exploring this astounding truth of the god man jesus christ the god man fully god fully man come together in the person of jesus christ and uh, Mark, the gospel of Mark makes Jesus so real as a man uh, to us, as, as a human being. And that, that's one of the reasons why he gets baptized is to identify with us as a, as a human being, as a man. Uh, another is that he, uh, he sets an example for us to follow. I'm not going to camp on this much, but I think he does set an example. Uh, you know, I'm a believer in full immersion. I think that's what you see here. It says he comes up out of the water Um, I think that's the the model and the pattern for us is that as we consecrate our lives to God, as we follow him, we get baptized by full immersion as a sign of our uh, commitment to God. And and Jesus sets us this example. But I think most importantly, why Jesus gets baptized is because it's a step of obedience. It's a step of obedience. Uh, In Matthew's gospel, uh, the account of Jesus' baptism is recorded like this in Matthew 3. From verse 13, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him, but John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. And Jesus answered him, Allow for it now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John allowed him to be baptized. Jesus uses that phrase to fulfill all righteousness. There was There was something about Jesus getting baptized that was fulfilling righteousness. It was was something that the Father wanted him to do so that he could continue to be the continuously righteous one. Never ever putting a foot wrong in disobedience before his Father. Everything that he did was perfect obedience. And there's something that the Father wanted him to do in getting baptized that Jesus, Jesus does. He follows through with this and he asks John to baptize him. Right at the outset of Jesus' public ministry, we see, we see Jesus saying, I'm willing to obey the will of my Father. In every, every aspect, it may not make sense to you, John, or to anyone watching, but here is my mission is to obey the will of my Father in every single thing. Every moment of every day, I'm here to do the will of my Father, to follow in perfect obedience before him. And his his baptism. Uh, if you think of when you got baptized, or if you've seen somebody else get baptized, uh, the baptism is kind of a a public way of of, of declaring uh, who you belong to, who you're with. Um, you know, I, often guys get baptized with T-shirts saying like, "I I belong to Jesus," or "I've decided, uh, you know, made new again," things like that, declaring what has happened to us, but. It's something of a statement of our identity. Of like, We belong to God. We are, we are with him. He is, he is our father. We are his children. We've decided to follow him and to commit our lives to dedicated obedience in following uh, the father. And there's a sense in which Jesus, at the start of his ministry, is doing the same thing. He is dedicating himself afresh as he had already grown up as an obedient young man. Now as he launches his public ministry, he's publicly declaring, uh, I am my father's son and my life is dedicated in full obedience to whatever he asks me to do. The second thing we see here in Jesus is that he lives from and not for the father's love. He lives from, not for the father's love. In verse 11 it says, And a voice came from heaven you are my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. This is the most uh, amazing uh, encounter. I mean, it, m- it must have been something to be there. You, you get some people who, who comment on the baptism of Jesus and they say, well, not, not, not everybody else could hear the, the voice of the Father. Only Jesus could hear it. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure if that's true. Uh, it seems like it's recorded differently and other people maybe heard it. I don't know what the voice sounded like. Um, because in other Gospels, it's like, this is my son, listen to him, kind of thing. So it's like an instruction, it's a voice giving instruction to others who could hear. But imagine being there, there's Jesus comes out the water and there's this voice that I'm assuming it boomed, that's all I can do in picturing it in my head, is this voice booms from heaven. You are my beloved son, in you I'm well pleased, and Holy Spirit descends on Jesus. We'll talk about that now. I want you to notice something here, uh, briefly, that Jesus has not actually done any public ministry yet. He hasn't, he hasn't really done anything yet. And yet here you have the Father declaring, you're my beloved Son. In you I'm well pleased. You haven't, you haven't done anything. You haven't gone to the cross. You haven't healed anyone yet. You haven't done all the things that I've prepared in advance for you to do and the ushering of your kingdom and the loving of the people and the saving of the world. None of that has, has, has happened yet. Um, and yet... You're my beloved son in you i'm well pleased and there's something there's something so strong in that um, for us, particularly for those of us who who follow Jesus who would call ourselves Christians disciples uh, this is a good reminder for us that because we are in christ we've come we've come to God the Father in Christ, those words are true over us uh, that we are the beloved of God, and that he is well pleased with us, he's not pleased with well pleased with what we will do. It's not that we uh, are gonna please him, and are, we can please him. And every act of obedience definitely does please the Father. Every act of obedience does bring God joy, absolutely. But those add to the relationship. They're not uh, defining the terms then in which we come into the relationship. It's not we're working towards something. We as believers are working from something. Just like Jesus, he was working from the Father's love, not for the Father's love. This is massively, massively important. And if, if you've never heard this before, uh, I would really encourage you to take some time after this to sit with this thought and, 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 and interrogate, do a bit of an audit of your view of God the Father. What is his view towards you? Are you, are you walking? Are you living in such a way as to earn, as to earn his love? Or you're living in such a way as you're every day walking out of that love. You understand that you're fully and firmly loved by the Father. And everything that you do, everything that you think, every, every opportunity, every act of grace, everything that happens every day comes and you live out of your true identity as the beloved of God. You're not trying to earn the Father's love and favor and attention. You already have it. There's something so liberating uh, about that, about being loved by God, being the beloved uh, of the Father, and making that our true identity and just resting in that and then just living out of that. It does, it does something so amazing for us. Um, m- many of you may remember uh, Mick. Uh, he's been over in the UK and him and Buffy are back and he, he's just had a, a, a son, Ben, and uh, they popped around to our house the other day and it's the first time I'd seen um, them with their kid and seen Mick. I've known Mick for ages, but first time I've seen him as a dad. Uh, with his little boy there, he's swinging him around, you know, a little disagreeable that afternoon. So he's swinging him upside down. Well, not upside down, like appropriately um, comforting him and trying to help him. But you could just see he's his, his, his got his new countenance in his face. Um, he's always been a, quite a joyful fellow. But when he looks at Ben, there's just like this new sparkle in his eyes. And little Ben, you ask Mick, like, what, is he, what, what has Ben done so far, to endear himself to you. And it's probably exactly the opposite. He's he's probably done a whole bunch of things not to endear himself to Mick. And yet there you see this delight of this new father over a son. And it's exactly the picture of of the father's delight. What's a window into that, of the the reality, that the father loves us. And that is settled. And we work and we live from his affection that's set on us, not to earn it. And that's an amazing Amazing thing, something we can deeply, deeply rejoice and rest in. And Jesus knew this. Jesus knew this. He knew that the Father loved him from all eternity. He was secure in that love so he could give himself away completely to everyone. he came into the world to love and to serve and give his life away, all because he was so secure in his Father's love. The third thing we see here in this passage uh, of Jesus is that he walks in the power of the Spirit. He walks in the power of the Spirit. You see at his baptism. The heavens are, are almost torn open. Uh, and the voice of the Father comes down over Jesus. And then it says that uh, the, the Spirit descends on him uh, in the form of a dove. Now we don't know necessarily if it was exactly a dove, but it's, it had the appearance um, of a dove coming down on, on Jesus. And it, and it remains on him. It remains on him. Why is this uh, significant and important for us? Well, some people, uh, some people will say, "Well, you can't really follow Jesus as an example. You can't really put forward Jesus as an example of how to live um, as a human on the earth because he is God. He's not a man. And and yes, he is the God man. I said that earlier. We say it again and again. But he lives out his life on the earth as a human, as a man, empowered and Overshadowed and strengthened and empowered by the Holy Spirit, he he lives as the ultimate human. Uh, if, if we want to know what what the ultimate human experience is like, you just need to look at Jesus. He is the he is the ultimate human, and he's the ultimate one in surrendered to God and filled by the Holy Spirit. Everything that Jesus does is spurred, empowered. And why am I saying this? Why is it encouraging for us? Because. Uh, living a life like Jesus is not this inaccessible, weird, unattainable kind of goal that God has put to us and said, look, look, don't even try. Dabble a little bit, but you know, I know you're not going to get very far. The same power that enabled Jesus to live a sinless life and to do everything that he did on earth as a man, the same power that came upon him, the power of the person of the Holy Spirit is the same Holy Spirit that empowers and indwells those of us who call God Father and who have placed faith in Jesus. There's not different Holy Spirits. There's one spirit that Jesus receives that empowers his life and that we receive that empowers our life. The reason why most of us fall on our face uh, and trip over sin and wallow in self-pity and guilt and really just, I suppose, spin our wheels as Christians is because we don't take hold and rely and live in dependence on the Holy Spirit the way Jesus did, moment by moment, minute by minute, day by day, year by year. Uh, he did it perfectly, full dependence on the Spirit, and he lives a sinless life to the glory of God. And we, it's a, it's accessible to us, the same um, Holy Spirit, and yet we have to acknowledge that we pay fairly little regard to the dependence moment by moment, dependence on the Holy Spirit in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, in the affections of our heart. And yet this is encouragement to us that this is same Holy Spirit is the one who indwells us as, as believers. I find that tremendously encouraging when I look at my own life and I see my own sin struggles, I see uh, my, my shortcomings, I see character flaws, I see waywardness of heart, I'm reminded again that that I have access because I'm indwelt by the same Spirit that wrought this in Jesus. This perfection in Jesus is available to me. And if I lean into it, if I lean into it and depend more and more, there is so much growth available and waiting for me, so much joy, so much love, so much freedom that can come through leaning into the work that the Holy Spirit's doing in my life. Number four, we see in Jesus that he's refined by trial. He's refined by trial the holy spirit comes on him at his baptism and then what's the first thing that happens there it's is that the spirit drove him into the wilderness uh, you know yeah. you know if you and i were writing the script we would probably put something else in there like jesus then stopped and took a took a selfie with john and the whole family went out for a picnic to celebrate jesus getting baptized or something we'd do something lame like that but here you see you know the spirit if it, it's a strong word it drove him into the wilderness you know The Spirit does lots of things, it convicts us, it guides us. Sometimes it teaches us. Sometimes the way the Holy Spirit guides us is is almost a a compelling, strong, driving, drives Jesus out into the wilderness. The first thing that happens post-baptism for Jesus is 40 days of solitude, trial, and temptation in the wilderness. Why is Jesus going through this? Why is Jesus driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days? To be tested, to be tempted, to go through this trial on his own, fasting without food. It's not like Jesus skipped breakfast. This is a big, tall order. This is 40 days. This is intense stuff. Especially if you've been to the Judean wilderness. I've been to is- Fortunate to be- go to Israel a couple of times. It's not the most hospitable place. It's like the Karoo on steroids. It's like not a place you want to go chilling around there. And it says that there's wild animals there with him and the angels are ministering to him. But why, why is Jesus going through this? So there, there's a, Again, there's a few reasons here. Um, one of them is because Jesus is identifying again with us as a man. And he sees his humanity. Mark is at pains. I'm going to say it again and again and again. He's at pains to, to paint for us the humanity of Jesus no, Jesus is the God-man. We're not dealing with just someone who's inaccessible, who doesn't understand what it's like to be a human being, to be a man uh, walking the earth and living as a, as a human. He, he understands it. He gets it. He comes as flesh, as mankind. And here he identifies with us. Hebrews tells us that he was tempted in every way so that he can be sympathetic to us. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin, But he understands what every kind of temptation is like, so that in our weakness he can help us. Because it's not like he's like, I don't understand what it's like to go through that. Oh man, he understands what it's like. Because temptation is not the sin, it's giving into the temptation, that's the sin. And he is tempted in every way, yet without sin. He identifies with us, and in his perfection, he shows us what it looks like for a human to be tempted but not give into it, to maintain righteousness, to maintain holiness all the way through by the power of the Spirit. But I think the, the more compelling reason why Jesus goes through this is because with Jesus uh, comes the dawning of a new uh, age, a new, a new era. Uh, you may remember, um, you may know your Bible, if you wind your mind back all the way to the beginning, uh, there was another man uh, who was tempted. Uh, and yet he failed. Uh, Adam. And the Bible paints this, Paul particularly paints this picture of, of Adam and Jesus as a new Adam. This Adam faced temptation and he failed and sets in motion uh, the, basically the fall of the world. And God sets in motion his redemptive plan to win his people back to himself. And then along comes Jesus, the second Adam, the greater Adam. And in the face of temptation, he's the one who never, ever gives in. He never says yes to sin. He does what the original Adam was supposed to do. And that's resist the sin. Say no to it and say yes to God. And here we have this new Adam coming. Jesus is inaugurating a new age, the way things should have been. He's showing what Adam should have done. There was another nation that were meant to live in obedience before their God. The nation of Israel and Jesus comes as the new, as the perfect Israel. You'll maybe know the story. Israel were God's chosen people, but man, they they weren't excellent at obedience. That's an understatement. Again and again they would reject him and just do their own thing and they keep turning away from him and and there's a there's a time when he sends them off in their disobedience to wander in the desert for 40 years as as a punishment, as a refining time, because they disobeyed what he asked them to do and here we have Jesus 40 days in the desert in perfect obedience saying yes to the father moment by moment resisting temptation saying yes father whatever you ask me to do I will do saying no resisting the temptation of Satan and following his father in perfect obedience through the power of the spirit. Where everyone else before the arrival of Jesus had disobeyed and fallen short here comes Jesus in full and perfect obedience, to be an example and to be our perfect obedience, which we would need as he then bows on the cross. We'll talk about that in more detail in the coming weeks. The fifth thing we see here is that Jesus preaches the best sermon ever. Uh, you, may, you may love his sermon here. This is his sermon. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. You know, some of you think maybe maybe we should aim for sermons that are that long. Uh, there's a lot of meat in there, lots to dwell on. You know, let's take up an offering, let's close in prayer, let's go home. Uh, it's a lot shorter <laughs> and probably more powerful than any other sermon you've ever heard. It's the best sermon ever. Why? 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 I mean, look at the content of this this first sort of sermon of Jesus. He says the time is fulfilled. The time. There's different words. Uh, in Greek for time. One is, one is chronos and one is kairos. Chronos refers to k- chronological time, like what, the hour of the day. Kairos refers to the season. It's a different kind of thing. And that word that he uses there is, is not the chronos. It's not like the, uh, the hour has come for me. It's the kairos. My time, the season has come. The season is now fulfilled. What, what is going on? You may remember, you may be old enough to remember, uh, back to 2010, uh, it doesn't feel that long ago, does uh, it feels like a lifetime ago, uh, when the World Cup was here. All I remember was that kinako, I might be um, mispronouncing it, kinako, that was the phrase that we used all the time, it's time, it's time, it was our time for the World Cup to finally come to African shores. And we waited, we waited for years and years, and then, you know, Seth Blatter pulled our Name out of the envelope. You know, South Africa, we all went bananas and stuff. And then it still felt like years after that until it finally happened in Kinako. Now it was time for the World Cup footballs festival to come to our shores, to our country. And it was like everything. Yeah, really? This is it. It's time. It's time. For what? For what? Well, Jesus says that the kingdom of God is at hand, is near. The kingdom of God is here. The king has come. The king has come to his, establish his kingdom, the start of his kingdom. He hasn't brought it in its, full, in its fullness. The final coming of the kingdom of God is not here yet, but it's breaking in with the coming of the king. It's amazing. It's amazing. And there's almost this invitation from Jesus as he says that the good news of the kingdom of God, and then he says straight off the bat, repent and believe this good news. We looked at that last week. Repent. Have a change of mind. Stop what you're doing and turn and go in the other way and believe. Repent and believe. You've got to do two things. You've got to stop and you've got to start. You've got to stop doing some stuff. You've got to change and you've got to believe. You've actively got to put faith in good news that there's a king who's bringing about a new kingdom. And we this is it, We get to submit our lives under this new king who ushers in his kingdom into the world. It's amazing. It's the best sermon ever and since jesus started preaching that the kingdom of god has been growing and growing that's what the word says it's been growing and growing and growing and growing and filling the nations of the world and one day it's going to come to its full and final fruition when jesus comes back and makes everything perfect but it's already established he is the king and his kingdom is at work and we get to submit to that joyfully now so as we look at those five areas of what we learn through the life of Jesus, how can we apply some of these things um, to our life? Well, I want, to, I want to encourage you and challenge you this morning. We see in Jesus right at the start of his ministry here, this almost renewed commitment to follow his father. Made public. Made public. It's not done on the sly. It's not like Jesus just starts to, starts to do ministry, just like sneaking around. There are portions in the gospel where he's like, hey guys, don't tell anyone about what I'm doing. Don't tell anyone it's not my time. I'm not It wasn't his time for certain parts of ministry and for certain levels of prominence. But his time had come. The king was now ushering in his kingdom. And he's happy to go public with his obedience to his father. It's like, this is what I'm here to do. And I love, that. I love that phrase, it's time. The time has come. And maybe today... You're listening to all of this and, and maybe your time has come. Maybe today is your time to make a commitment, to commit, to, to, to make it public even, that you've decided to follow Jesus, to, to get your life organized behind his, to follow him, to submit your life, to look to him for the forgiveness of sin and for life and for peace and to take away guilt and shame, to to completely reorientate and go to work in the deepest corners of your heart and completely make you new again and lead you in his ways for the rest of your days. Maybe today is the time to do that. And if you're watching this and you haven't yet made that commitment, I would encourage you to do that. I'm not a massive believer in like the sinner's prayer or whatever else. Uh, if you are listening to this and, and God is calling you to himself and you want to commit, you find your own words, you make a commitment, you tell somebody else, Reach out to us as a church. We'd love to help you take the next steps in that journey. For some of you listening today, maybe you made a commitment a while ago. Uh, maybe it was public. Maybe you got baptized. Everything else full of the Spirit, all that stuff. And yet you've wandered. You've, 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 you've drifted. You've walked on different paths. Your heart has cooled towards God. You've just let yourself Slide away from him a little bit. And like I said, your heart is just cool. The affections aren't there for God. Maybe you're watching this this morning. You're not even sure why you're watching. This is why you're watching. Because God is calling you back to himself today. Through this, he's offering you grace again to come and to turn back from where you've been wandering, to come back to your father who has set his affection on you. You're not coming back like the prodigal son to earn your way back into his good books. You're coming back to enjoy the feast that the Father will throw over you as your heart turns back to Him. That's the kind of Father that we love and that we serve, and He's drawing you back to Himself again this morning. Many of us, when we've wandered away, we feel like there's so many things between us and God. How can we possibly come back? Does He know what we've done? There's all this stuff. There's sin. There's guilt, all these things. I want to remind you of the famous quote that there's more mercy in Christ than there is sin in you. There's more mercy in Christ than there is sin in you. Come back to him. Maybe today is your day to recommit your life back to God and to turn and to make it a public declaration that you're coming back to God and you're done with the wandering, you want to come back to him. I want to remind you of that verse that Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19. He says, you are not your own for you were bought at a price. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Friend, if, if you made a commitment to God and you've wandered away, you're not your own. You were bought at a price. You don't want to scorn the cost that was uh, spent, that it cost her to win you to him. Come back to him. You're not your own. You are his. Come back to the one who has your heart and who, in whom your life depends. The next thing is that encourage us to lean into the dependence on the Holy Spirit. To lean into the dependence on the Holy Spirit. Like I said, we get the same Spirit, Holy Spirit, that Jesus had. And yet, most of our failings come from a lack of dependence on the Holy Spirit. I love what Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. It's one of my uh, favorite verses, uh, one of my favorite things Jesus says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The reason you don't have is because you don't ask. And I want to encourage you, even right now this morning, as, as we close this out in a few minutes, to not move, just to sit where you are and to ask God to give you more and more of the Holy Spirit. To adopt a posture of receiving from God again and that you make this a pattern of your life to lean into dependence on the Holy Spirit, both receiving in quiet moments, but throughout the day just muttering to yourself, I need the Holy Spirit. I love. I think it was Spurgeon, he used to say, a famous preacher, before he would head up to the pulpit to preach, he would just mutter under his breath, I need the Holy Spirit, I need the Holy Spirit. I mean, he's like the most rock star preacher you've probably heard, but he would just mutter under his breath, I need the Holy Spirit, I need the Holy Spirit. That's the, the sign of a man who understands how things really work. You can be really good at something, but you, it means nothing unless it's in full dependence on the Holy Spirit. And I encourage you to find a pattern of including that in your life crying out to God, I need the Holy Spirit, I need the Holy Spirit, learning that secret of living independence on the Holy Spirit. Why? So that here's the next thing, so that we can resist temptation with new power, new courage, and new commitment. Maybe today you feel convicted, provoked by the Holy Spirit. There's an area in your life where you keep keep tripping over it. You keep revisiting the same sins again and again. And I want to encourage you today that that's what dependence on the Holy Spirit produces in us. A renewed ability to say no to those things and yes to God. Like Jesus, like the one who we pattern our lives after, we follow him in dependence and we're able to resist the temptation and say yes to God. And the last thing is to embrace the trials that refine us. To embrace the trials that refine us. In 1 Peter, uh, He writes, In his letter, this from uh, chapter 1 from verse 5, he says, You are being guarded by God's power, amazing, through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this. Even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. Why? So that the proven character of your faith, more valuable, than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There it is. You go through trial. You go through temptation. You go through difficulty. So that the proven character of your faith can be refined and be shown, and can be um, put forward as more precious than gold that is refined Uh, in a fire. All the impurities are burnt away. That's what God is doing in us, friends. When temptation, when trial, those things come, we are being refined. We are being made pure. It says that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus learned obedience. There's some mystery there that Jesus learns a type of obedience to the Father through what he suffers. And he goes ahead of us and we learn what it means to be obedient to the Father. We are refined through suffering, whether it's trials that come with temptations that we face, with the difficulties of the fallen world, there is a refining that happens in us. And if we'll embrace it, we will see some of what God is wanting to do in us. The proven genuineness and character of our faith will be shown there. My prayer is that this morning, you will come to him or you will come back to him. You will lean in full dependence on the Holy Spirit and we will embrace what God is doing in refining us, just like we see in Jesus, the one who we follow. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, I pray for uh, my brothers and sisters this morning who follow you. And uh, I thank you for the miracle you've wrought in each one of our hearts, that the grace that you gave us to make us alive to you and want to follow in your ways. Committing our lives and our hearts to you to be followers of Jesus Christ. Thank you for that amazing work, and I pray for um, some who may be listening who've wandered away from you, and and today very, very clearly, very strongly, sense the drawing work of the Holy Spirit, bringing them back to yourself. And I pray that they would sense your joy over them in new ways this morning, and for those who 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 may never have made a commitment, I pray for grace and courage today to turn to you, to submit their lives to you, to say to give you their ultimate yes, to follow you, whether they're terrified or anxious or uncertain of what it's all going to look like, say yes to you in a public commitment to follow you and give their lives to you as followers of Jesus. And for all of us, that you would fill us afresh this morning, Father, with the Holy Spirit, how we need you. Jesus, you said uh, that you would give, how much more would you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so we ask again this morning, would you fill us afresh? Would you fall on us? Would you empower us? We want to be a people, we want to be a church full of the Holy Spirit, walking in your ways, living like you, Jesus, in the same power that filled you and empowered you to live. And we pray that, Father, in the midst of the, the trials and the difficulties of this particular season of this pandemic, but in just in life in general, In the temptations that we face and all the difficulties we go through, we pray that you'd give us the eyes of faith to both see and to trust you that you are refining us and you're doing something in us that nothing else does. You are testing and proving our genuine faith in you. You hold us fast. You hold us. You're not going to let us go. And pray that we would help, uh, we would know in new ways this morning that you stand with us in the refining fire. You both send it and you stand with us to hold us, to keep us. And you are making us more beautiful and more refined, of more use to you as we go through those trials. Keep your work going in our lives, we pray, that we would be more useful and more beautiful in your service. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.